There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and friendship, food and fertility, and even food and grief. This week's episode is Food and Roots with Charmaine Wilkerson, author of the New York Times best-selling novel Black Cake. The book is about estranged siblings Byron and Benny, who are brought back together when their mother, Eleanor, dies in California and leaves them with a puzzling inheritance a traditional Caribbean black cake, and a voice recording that will help them to unravel their pasts. Black cake has no shortage of fans, including none other than former US President Barack Obama, as well as the one and only Oprah Winfrey, who is producing the TV series for Hulu. Charmaine is from New York, has lived in Jamaica, and does much of her writing in Italy, where she speaks to us from today. Charmaine and I were part of a Twitter group of 2022 debut novelists as my novel Single Ball Female came out in the same year as Black Cake. Charmaine is here today to talk to me about food and roots, how food can help create a sense of place both in terms of geography and culture and the mix of both. Black Cake covers California, the Caribbean and even the UK and Charmaine herself is based in Rome so we'll also talk about how food shapes our experiences of settings and helps us to form memories. Charmaine, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to Life in Food. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. So could you start by telling us what Black Cake is about? Well, I'll say right away, Laura, that I didn't set out to write a book about cake, but the cake is there in the story. This is a multi-generational story that goes back and forth between the past and present. But in the present day, it centers around a brother and sister two adults who have been estranged, haven't seen each other, and they're forced to come together because their mother has just died. And they find that she's left them an eccentric bequest, a small black cake sitting in her freezer with instructions that they share it, and also hours and hours of voice recordings in which she essentially reveals that she had a hidden past. Um, These stories are really stories about a number of different people. And it's going to take the brother and sister, Byron and Benny, a while to figure out, well, which one of these is their mother and why are they hearing about all of these people? But more importantly, they're really going to be struggling with the idea that, one, their parents weren't who they thought they were, 
and two, they're not sure how they should see themselves anymore and how they're going to be able to pull their relationship back together as brother and sister. So that's sort of the drama in the present day and in the past. Uh, the reader is going to the Caribbean in the 1960s and on to the UK and then back to the United States where the, the people in the present day are living. It is the most incredible book. I read it so quickly. The, the, I love the short chapters and the fast pace and how it goes between the characters. It's just an absolutely incredible book. And I'm not surprised that you have found yourself on Barack Obama's reading list. How did that feel? Thank you. That was wonderful. It was such a surprise. I'm so honored. Uh, you know, I'm just thrilled that he had a chance to look at it and that he thought it was uh, memorable. Yeah, amazing. Um, so the title of the book was actually inspired by a family recipe that I think your mother left. Is that right? How did that come about? My mother made a legendary black cake. So black cake, for people who don't know that term, when you're talking about the Caribbean, it's referring to a very dark colored, um, essentially a plum pudding. And it's a it's a descendant and an evolved version of the English plum pudding. But it's made with rum and dark brown cane sugar and some spices that tend a little little more toward the the West Indies um, than the British Isles. And um, the the family part is my mother always made this at Christmas time. And there were a couple of major weddings in our family. This is also a wedding tradition. And several years before I started writing this story, Laura, um, a younger member of my family wrote to me and said, uh, do you have that black cake recipe? And I did. I had a home recipe from my mother. But the thing that got me thinking and that I believe eventually brought the cake into the story that I was writing is that it surprised me that this relative of mine cared so much about the cake. He wanted one for his wedding. And it surprised me that I hadn't thought, oh, he needs a cake for his wedding. You know, all these things that are, that are tied to family tradition, you think won't mean as much to someone else. And um, it's because I come from a multicultural family. We, over two or three generations, we've grown up in different places. We speak different languages. A lot of us don't look alike. And so what is it that makes us feel like we're family? What is it that makes us hold certain things close to our hearts, more, um, more so than other things? I'm fascinated by the ways in which the stories of our lives help us to form a sense of family and home and identity. And when it comes to stories, food is one of the languages that we use. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the languages that we can use to tell a story, but it's also one of the instruments that we use to tell stories between us, because I guess around the table... Um, the stories that we tell and the things that we learn about our families we often wouldn't know if we weren't sitting down to a table of food. This particular recipe that you, you asked me about, the black cake, um, is something that's served at weddings, holidays, at the table. But it's also fascinating because, again, it's considered a Caribbean tradition, but it's really linked to a tradition from another part of the world and the way in which that cake sort of symbolizes some of what's going on in the novel and in Byron and Benny's life is that there's a whole untold story 
It's not a secret to anyone in the Caribbean, but it's not something you talk about or think about. And that is specifically how does an English plum pudding end up being a Caribbean cake with rum and sugar and other ingredients? What's the connection? Well, for better or worse, the connection is migration, colonialism, also forced labor, um, export economies tied to the, the sugar cane from which sugar and rum are made. So it's interesting because there's all of that other stuff behind there. You can't look at this food and think of the beauty of the present mm-hmm. and the joy of being together without thinking about the history and the stories that aren't always told. And that's exactly what you've done with the book with kind of the, the children finding out about all about their family history and all about their past after after their mother dies. Yes, yes. And and of course, there's there are other foods in the story because again, we're going um, to the Caribbean in the 1960s. So there are all sorts of other foods that represent the local geography. But when I think of food and when I think of origins and history, I'm not only thinking about recipes or ingredients, Laura, I'm also thinking about the way in which food is produced. You know, hence when we talked about Mm. things like uh, the sugar um, and rum economies or forced labor or colonialism, that ultimately was about economy, right? People people building economies or people finding new ways to, to prosper for better or worse. And I'm fascinated by the ways in which food is grown, the ways in which the seasons affect us. And that's a universal. Wherever you live, food represents what's going on in the climate, in the economy, in your family. Yeah, absolutely. So you're from New York, you lived in Jamaica, and you now live in Italy, in Rome, is that right? That's correct. So when I talk about multicultural, it's it's me, but also other members of my family. And those are, those are three places with entirely different food cultures. So can I start by asking you what your relationship with food was like as a child, particularly growing up in the US and Jamaica? Well, in the U.S., I left the U.S. at a fairly young age. And so some of my earlier food memories have to do with my love of fruits from the garden um, or from the markets that to this day, I, I can't just find by stepping out the door. Um, things like guava, uh, something called guinea star apple, soursop, things that I just loved, um, as well as some vegetables that I didn't like <laughs> as a little girl. <laughs> and with the U.S., I would say this is the time of year when the American culture um, really leaves me most nostalgic. And that is, you know, when you start to get to autumn. And I'm originally from the northeastern U.S., so we have the four seasons and we do have the autumn and the changing of the leaves, which are famous. You know, that's famous around the world, the colors and the foods of autumn. So my relationship, when I think of the things I love about food in the U.S., I think of the autumn harvest and the squashes and the pumpkins and and the, the ways in which foods are prepared at that time of year. Um, One of the things about the U.S. that's interesting is, you know, it's a huge country. And so when we think of industrialized uh, agriculture, 
it's certainly true in the U.S. You know, you have a huge country with large farms and food being distributed around the world. But I've always had the good fortune to live in places where you could access food from local markets and really sort of taste the bounty of the land. Um, and now, of course, people are trying to hold on to some of that, even though we need to be able to access food wherever we go, which is why we have a supermarket or a grocery store. And what about Jamaica? What are your food memories from there? So that's mostly with the fruits. You know, um, as I mentioned, I moved there fairly early. So those are my first memories. Again, the, the things like the guava and the guinep and the soursop and breadfruit. Um, there's a scene in Black Cake, the novel, where in the 1960s, the two teenage girls who are growing up, who are these really amazing swimmers, and ha they have this dream to swim out in the sea and win a race, they are, you know, they're teenagers and they're hanging out at the beach and their families buy um, fish and bami. Bami is a kind of cassava cake. Um, cooked on an open fire right there on the beach. And that is something that I was able to put into an imaginary scene based on my own observation, my own life, because that's something that I would see as a child when I was living in Jamaica. There, there'd be this um, couple or a family, and they had the, a, a place to... It was sort of a glorified barbecue, and they would cook fresh fish and cassava cakes and other things and sell some sweets um, and uh, now in Italy, well, need I say more? I'm in Italy, and so it's intimidating, Laura. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe not for you. You're a food journalist, and you're a bit of a foodie. But for someone like me, even though I appreciate food, I would not say that I'm an expert. I would not say that I'm even a great cook. And when you live in Italy... Things are certified. You only get certain ingredients from a certain area. You don't get certain ingredients because they're not in season, which is as it should be, but you have to get used to that. And uh, people are quite fussy. And one of the cultural differences, I don't know if it's this way for you, but when I, um, let's say I'm in the US and I'm eating a meal, and maybe it's all right, maybe it's nothing special, but of course I'll say, oh, this is lovely, thank you. You always compliment the cook, right? Um, yeah. In Italy, the, you know, someone will eat it and go, mm, yeah, this could really use more salt. What did you put in here? It's strange. You have sweet and sour flavors together. And, um, oh, I would not have used cream cheese in that frosting. You know, you should have used mascarpone. But it's not said in an unkind way. It's just that it's the way in which people often speak at the table and so culturally, I had to get used to that. Um, uh, people also criticize their own cooking with, when they're at the table. So they're not being catty. They're just, it's their way. An Italian cannot sit at the table without discussing the merits of the food in front of them, where they got it, what they did, how they cooked it, someone else's recipe. And the same for drinks, wine, which of course is produced in Italy. So um, these are some of the cultural differences I've seen. And um, I think wherever you go, though, if you're fortunate and you have decent, nutritious, safe food and you can access that as many people cannot, then, uh, you know, there's always uh, emotion attached to the food or social bonding. Mm -hmm. 
or appreciation for where it came from. And how would you say your um, how would you say that food has shaped your experience of each of those three very different places that you've lived in? Without a doubt, um, the the experience of food in Italy, where I am now, uh, initially was a bit intimidating. It was a long time before I would dare to cook anything for anyone I knew, because well, they were all Italian, and we were in Italy, and how could I compete? Because again, I'm not the person to go to cooking classes. I'm not a real foodie, but I do make foods that I think are. Um, Good. And one thing I've discovered is my go-to food often is soup. I make pretty good soups and I make a variety of soups. And the funny thing that I discovered is making a fairly pedestrian or normal soup from, say, the United States could go over really well in Italy because people weren't quite used to the soup being made that way. And they'd make quite a fuss. Uh, the same thing with apple pie. I once wrote an essay about this. Um, the apple pie that is covered, which is a very American style of pie. Also, I think from the UK, uh, when you completely cover a pie with the dough, um, that's not something Italians do with apple pie. So you just chop up the apples and put in the spices and you make your dough and cover it. And it's a big deal. I've gotten rave reviews. <laughs> you know, it may be a nice apple pie, but we're not talking about the best in the world. And yet people uh, are interested in that and they enjoy that difference. Um, in, in Jamaica, I think um, the interesting thing about having lived there for a number of years as a child and then also commuting constantly back and forth to the U.S. is that I, I just developed a list of my favorite foods. But some of those foods um, were things that I didn't taste again for years. And mm. again, certain uh, fruits that tend to be grown uh, in the Caribbean or in tropical climates. Um, and I found that as an adult, when I started traveling a bit for work, and I also worked for a U.N. agency in more recent years, I would end up in a country across the world and find one of those foods because, again, a tropical mm -hmm. environment. And um, often I found out that those foods actually did come originally from Asia or Africa. So a reminder that years and years ago, uh, food was crossing the oceans. And those of us who live today have the foods that we consider to be traditional But, you know, maybe 2,000 years ago, they weren't even part mm. of the local geography or the local habits. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That what you said just before reminded me or made me think of food and nostalgia. And I, like you, have lived in lots of different places. I lived in Brazil and Mexico and Argentina, which are incredibly different food cultures to the one we have here in the UK. And um, when I lived there, it was about 20 years ago when I first lived in Brazil. And the thing that I missed the most about my home country was the food. And I used to take, it's just silly, simple things. I used to take packets of salt and vinegar crisps with me. I used to try and make tea. I used to take English tea bags, try and make a cup of tea, but it wouldn't be the same. Try and make a jacket potato, roasted jacket potato, but it wouldn't be the same. Um, and now I'll, I'll try a food like, um, the, the black beans in Brazil, uh, a, sta- a staple food, uh, beans and rice with so many meals. And well, I'll try, try that or something like feijoada. It may be in London or even when I, when, when I go back there and it's this most nostalgic wave of feeling that comes over you when you eat those foods. Do you have that? And do you, um, is there something that you cook from Jamaica or from the US in Italy that kind of just takes you straight back home and anchors you back, back there? It's interesting you mentioned that because also the idea of taking stuff with you and it's not even always the most healthy foods, but it's something that you have Mm -hmm. to have. Um, and, uh, I, I do recall this detail from my childhood going back and forth that, you know, you'd travel to the U.S. with gifts and souvenirs and come back and the adults would have suitcases filled with all sorts of packaged things that were edible from the U.S. And it's interesting that what you said just brought that back into my head. But in terms of nostalgia, um, there is a dish I love from Jamaica in particular that's very hard to replicate. In the U.K. you could. It involves a fruit called ackee. And um, when it's cooked, you know, it, it, it has a mild, it has a flavor, but it has the mildness and versatility maybe of avocado. So this mm-hmm. mild uh, fruit is cooked as a vegetable with uh, salted codfish and um, green onions and other things. So I always loved that dish, always. And I would literally 
buy super expensive cans of the stuff in New York. And also Mm -hmm. in the UK, I would swipe something off a supermarket shelf and take it back with me to, um, to Italy. And I made it a couple of times and people went wild. Then I just make rice with um, beans and coconut milk and, you know, put them together. And I cook plantains, which you can find here because in Rome in particular, there's a pretty significant um, uh, Asian population from various Mm. countries, but also there are some people from other parts of the Caribbean and Latin America, very few people with any ties to the island of Jamaica, but lots of other islands. So um, I would make that, and that's sort of my my nostalgia food. My nostalgia foods from the U.S. are... This is something that you either hate or you love. It's green pea soup. It's split pea soup. I love that. And people think that's lovely here because they're not Mm. used to, they have the split split peas, but they're not used to it being made in that thicker soup. Um, And I love, I miss cranberries. That's something I miss. To me, the fall in New England means getting fresh cranberries, chopping them up, cooking them down um, with a bit of fresh squeezed um, orange juice and sugar and making that cranberry sauce. And I miss that so much. So I'll I'll buy these bottled preserves of cranberry and um, serve that with something salty because it reminds me of that time of year. Apple pie. Do you do Thanksgiving in uh, in Italy? For a long time, I didn't. First, I'm not a terribly traditional person. I tend to feel that where I am, I'll follow that tradition. But the truth is, after years of living here, I began to miss that idea. And I remembered that when we lived in Jamaica, my parents would just sit down for Thanksgiving with one other couple. They would just make sure that on that day, they invited someone to dinner. And it didn't matter what you ate. So I started doing that, but but featuring some things that you might make, such as um, the kind of stuffing that you would make with a turkey with uh, bread and chestnuts and mushrooms mm-hmm. and raisins and spices. I put that all together. Um, I don't actually eat meat. So um, I wouldn't, even though I know how to prepare these things, I wouldn't bother, but someone else would cook the meat and Mm. I'd make soups with pumpkin. Uh, So yes, I do use that to remind myself of the modern secular version of Thanksgiving, which is remember to sit down with someone Mm. and be grateful for their company. Yeah. And you talked in, uh, well, you've talked about how food can anchor us amid change. So in the book, we see the characters in various different places, but this one dish, the black cake, brings together the generations of the, the family. Um, can you tell tell me about the idea of a dish as an anchor and how it keeps you rooted even when you're not in a physical place that that dish is from? When we talk about food, and a dish as an anchor, I think again of food as a language. It's a language that carries stories with it, stories of how other people have enjoyed it, stories of how you've shared that food or prepared it with people in your life. And then if you're in a new culture, it becomes that link 
you know, that nostalgic link to the past or to another region. And I, you know, we often think of the United States as being a country with a great deal of migration. So we know that we have a lot of different dishes from different cultures. But really, wherever you go in the world, it's you see that this food, the idea of dishes and anchor, it isn't always out of the region or out of a certain culture, but it's out of time. It's your link to your mother, your link to your grandfather, your link to the siblings who have moved on, um, your link to a certain time when maybe the weather was different or there was a certain food available and maybe now that's changed. Um, so I, I find that um, to be a universal thing. And it certainly is something that influenced the writing of Black Cake as it grew. When I began this story, it began with a feeling about how we form our identities and how to hold on to your sense of self um, amid the expectations and stereotypes of other people. And when the cake sort of walked into the story as its own little character, um, I saw immediately the connections there. As I mentioned before, there are all of these stories about how that cake became a tradition in the Caribbean region and its ties to another region in the world and how that sort of mirrors some of the experiences of the people in the story who then migrate um, and must adjust their sense of identity. Well, that, that brings me on to the idea of legacy. So I have recently been diagnosed with secondary breast cancer and it's got me thinking a little bit about the idea of legacy because I don't have any children, but I have written my first novel and I like the idea of thinking of that book as something that lives on after me. And uh, I wondered if you think that recipes can can do that same thing so they can allow people to live on or families to live on through generations what do you think about that idea of, of recipe as a legacy? I think they do. I love what you say about the writing because already, for example, I read your book some time ago, quite some time ago, and so loved it. And it already created in me a feeling of connection to the writer, that is you, um, <laughs> and, and also was already generating new thoughts in me about other things in life. So first of all, thank you for that gift to other readers and writers. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's really a lovely book. And it's funny too. It's, it's both hard <laughs> to read and lovely to read and delightful. So just a moment. But going back to the idea of food as legacy, my mother back when I was living back in Los Angeles quite a few years ago, a couple of decades ago, my mother wrote me a letter. And it was typical, her little notes and comments and a couple of little jokes and in the center of this letter was a recipe. And she wrote at the end of the letter, charm, you know, um, okay, my handwriting isn't so good. That's the way she would say it. She said, but I know you'll be able to write it better. And sometimes I think about that because that is the letter in which my mother wrote down the black cake recipe. She wow. called it a plum pudding. Everyone has a different name for it. Some people call it black cake. And that is the recipe that my younger relative was looking for. So I don't have a proper answer for your question, but I think that's my answer. There you have a legacy. One of the reasons why mm. 
my younger family member texted me on my mobile from overseas and also texted my sister is because my mother wasn't around anymore. She had passed on. And I thought, ah, isn't that interesting, the cultural connection? You know, he misses that. He wants that. And then another beat. And I thought, no, he misses his grandma. You know? So, so there's that too. There's that too, the connection to people, the connection to good memories, the desire to create some kind of tradition or leave a memory for other people to enjoy. Um, and I remember that I wrote some thoughts down about that. I just didn't know that I'd end up writing a novel with the cake in it. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so glad you did. And, and that brings us on to talking about the fact that it's being made into a TV series by none other than Oprah Winfrey. Um, is there anything that you can tell us about what to expect from that? And also, what is your involvement in the production? Well, it's early days yet. They are still just writing and beginning to film. So we shall see. I think the most important thing is how I feel and how I felt about the idea of a series when uh, Oprah Winfrey's production group and also Kaplan Entertainment and Marissa Jo Serrar, the head screenwriter, approached uh, me about adapting the book. And that is right away I felt that I've written the book. And that's that mm. story. And anything that reaches the screen would be an interpretation. And since it's supposed to be an eight-part series, it would, in theory, be an extension. Mm. So I don't want to say anything too early while it's still mm. in production or speak for the people in production, but I will say that um, I'm excited to see what happens because the characters in the book to me are still alive. They came to mm. me spontaneously. I followed them. I did research, I amplified them, I put them into new scenes, but essentially they're living characters to me. And I'm excited um, by the idea of seeing how they will appear on the screen, how they may be different um, interpretations of the same idea. Um, I'm uh, an executive producer, and that's just, um, uh, that means that there is involvement, but it's fairly hands-off, meaning there's a dialogue. Someone just wrote to me with a question the other day. Um, you do look at scripts. You do talk a little bit about casting, but it's someone else's production. And I, I'm comfortable with that. I like the idea of someone else really using their expertise, their vision, when they are experts in that work, to bring the characters from Black, uh, Black Cake to life. Oh, I can't wait. Do you know if it's going to be available in the UK eventually? I certainly hope so, because, you know, officially Black Cake is a UK book, uh, because we, we found our first publisher in the UK, uh, Penguin Michael Joseph, and it was such a wonderful thing. My agent is from the UK, yeah. Madeline Milburn, right? And, um, and then, of course, I was thrilled to have the US pick up rights um, and, and really support it in such a big way, because... That is my original country. And, uh, and of course, Byron and Benny are American, the, the characters in the present day. Um, it's, uh, so it should be eventually, but it's being produced for Hulu. And that'll be up to the distribution folks to figure out how to get those um, episodes to other countries. 
Because I live in Italy, I don't always see what Americans see, for example, or what people mm. from the UK see. I, I follow one of the Brazilian publishers on Instagram, and I keep seeing the cover with the Brazilian um, translation, Bolo Preto, which yes. is just literally black cake, but it just sounds so perfect in, <laughs> in uh, Portuguese, I think. Yeah, I, I love seeing the fact that it's all over the world. Thank you. And you've, you've lived in Brazil, so you can appreciate this. One of the funny things is there's now a Portuguese version. It's just come out meaning for Portugal, and it has a different oh. title. And so it's really, it's Bolo Negro, which still means black cake. But it's interesting, the idea that two countries who, for a foreigner like me, seem to have the same language, they have a different language. And often in Italy, people ask me, uh, do you speak English or do you speak American? And <sighs> I used to laugh at that. And now I get it. <laughs> I get that there is a difference, actually. Yeah, I, I remember there always used to be two, well, there are two words for black in Brazil, preto and negro, mm -hmm. and they mean two slightly different things. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's really interesting to know that it's different in Portugal. I might have to Google that after we speak. Yes. May I ask what book you're working on next? Well, I will only say I am working on another book. Um, I'm in the process of sort of revising the first draft and, um, and I hope to be able to bring that to readers soon. It is another, in its own way, a multi-generational tale. Um, but it is different. It's different from Black Cake. I hope Black Cake readers will enjoy it then. Oh, I'm sure we will. I'll be, I'll be among the first to buy it for sure. Um, so I want to finish off by asking you the, the quick questions that I ask everyone on this podcast. So first of all, your relationship to food, fuel or pleasure? Ah, pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite meal of the day? Breakfast. Oh, yes. Good one. What do you have for breakfast? Something warm always. It can be coffee, tea, hot chocolate, but I love that. It's a ritual. And because I live in Italy, I love to be outside of the home. I'm still a tourist. I oh, like to sit nice. at a cafe and, okay. and something sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm much too lazy for that. I, I don't like to get dressed until after breakfast, so that wouldn't work for me. But it is a real treat when I do. Name one meal that always makes you feel happy. Meaning the ingredients, you know, soup. I love soup. <laughs> that is a very common answer to that question is on it? this podcast. <laughs> Everyone loves soup. One food, food that has healed you. Apple pie. Apple pie. Because you must peel the apples and cut them and mix them and roll the dough. And it heals in the way that any sort of zen type activity heals, the manuality of the work, the quiet concentration. Perfect answer. One dish that reminds you of family. Black cake. <laughs> Another perfect answer. One recipe that everyone should know how to cook. Soup. Absolutely soup. You know what? You just need two ingredients and a bit of water. Your best meal ever? Oh... I think any meal in which I've sat down with people I love, doesn't matter what you're eating. Can be pancakes, okay. can be soup, can be holiday. Mm. That's the best. Yeah. Finally, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice or the one thing you would tell people about food and roots? That food is 
everything about culture, language, stories, human connection. And so if we say that food represents our roots, well, of course, but it's not just about genealogy or culture. It's about relationships. It's about how we live in the world. It's about how we work with the earth. It's about how we inhabit our homes. Wonderful. Charmaine, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me, Laura. If you'd like to buy black cake, it's available in pretty much every country, pretty much every language, um, online or in bookshops. And I highly, highly recommend it. And I'll also um, let you know when I hear about the release of the new TV series, which I'm very much looking forward to. If you'd like to buy my novel, Single Bald Female, that's also available online and in bookshops in the UK and in Germany at the moment. There's a storyline in there about food and memory and food and grief and uh, the idea of kind of conjuring up memories of someone through through a dish. Um, so I really hope that you will enjoy my book as well as Black Cake. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes. That's Laura Price, W-R-I-T-E-S. And you might also enjoy my newsletter, which I've linked to in the show notes. My debut novel, Single Bald Female, is available online and in bookshops. And I would also be so delighted if you could rate or review this podcast. It really, really helps other people find it. Um, so if you leave either a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google, that would mean the absolute world to me. It would allow more listeners to find it and also allow me to keep on recording these episodes, which I so love doing. Thank you so much and see you next time on Life in Food with Laura Price. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 